It's Wednesday, August 18th, 2021. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And hey, Chet, while the Phillies have lost five of seven, the Braves have been winning and now lead the NL East by two and a half games. That, that first place Phillies didn't last long. Eagles preseason is underway with a loss to the Steelers, and Joel Embiid got paid. Uh, did I mention that Willie Nile has a new album out? <laughs> yeah, Willie does indeed have a new album out, Bill. It's his 14th studio album, and it's a good one. I've been listening to it. Uh, Joel Embiid can afford to buy as many albums as he wants, that's for sure. <laughs> a 40-year super max extension for the big guy. Let's hope he's still healthy and dominant when that contract ends near, uh, I guess, 2027. And, Bill, the Phillies continue to confound us. I mean, every time you think they've figured it out and they got an easier schedule, they lose to the worst team in baseball. They hit another bump in the road out in Arizona. Uh, they are frustrating indeed, Bill. Yeah, well, there's no easier schedule when you're a 500 team yourself. You know what I mean? So yeah, uh, they, you got to win them all. But we'll, we'll talk some more about that as we go on. But, hey, we've got a couple great guests tonight. Uh for the first time, we've got a parent of a professional player joining us, Chet. And uh, we've all agonized over our kids participating, competing in different events, whatever it might be along the way. Um, so we're going to see what it's like at the professional level when we sit down with mother of Phillies relief pitcher Stephanie Brogdon, uh, Connor Brogdon's mom. And uh, and then as in the second half, as mentioned in the opening, Willie Nile has a new album, and you had a chance to sit down with one of your favorites. So this is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, it really is. Two out-of-the-ordinary guests for our show, but both very, very interesting. I promise you that. I'm sure our viewers and listeners will enjoy each one, Bill. Oh, I'm sure they will. So let's get it going, and uh, let's welcome Steph Brogdon back, or not back, to Philly Press Box Radio for – her very first visit. And full disclosure, we taped our chat with Connor's mom Monday night, and it was great. And here it is. Let's do it. All right. Hey, Chet, we've had many different types of guests in our 350-plus shows over the years, but never have we had the parent of a player. It's going to be a lot of fun because certainly a different perspective than what we're used to. And uh, I can't wait to – we've all been parent. We're all parents. We've all root for our kids. So uh, – it's going to be interesting to see uh, see that. So let's welcome Stephanie Brogdon, mother of Phillies pitcher Connor Brogdon, to the show. Stephanie, welcome to Philly Press Box Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can we call you Steph? You can. Most people do. All right. Let's do it. Uh, Steph, before we talk about Connor and what it's like to be a baseball player's mom, tell us about you and your husband, Mike. Did you guys grow up in California? I know that's where Connor was born. Are you native Californians? I am a native Californian. I was born and raised in uh, Fresno, which is in the Central Valley. Uh, my husband, on the other hand, he was born in Torrance, but uh, his parents moved to Minnesota when he was six months old. So he was raised there. He moved to uh, California in 1986. He took a position with the Fresno Police Department. He wanted to go somewhere warm. He got what he wished for. Uh, it's, you know, in the 100 teens here in the summertime. Yeah. So 
he's been with them for 34 years. He's getting close to retirement. Uh, I am a registered nurse and have been a registered nurse for over 20 years. So um, we met actually in the ER where I worked. And oh, wow. we've been married almost 29 years now. Nice. Very nice. Well, thanks to both of you. Uh, you as a registered nurse, I live with one of those as well. And uh, certainly law enforcement for 34 years is something special, especially in these times. That's for sure. So with Connor now, uh, I believe he's your only child. He started Little League like uh, like all the other kids. And uh, and I guess he was growing tall early. He's, he's a tall, tall guy. At what point did, did somebody have a, a light go on and say, hey, this kid's got a chance to, to be really good? Um, you know, he, he actually was not tall until high school. He had a big growth spurt in high school, probably, I think, I want to say his sophomore year. And I suspected he would be tall. My husband's 6'7", so I... And I'm 5'10", so I assumed he would have some height. And he was, you know, throwing a wiffle ball and, you know, th with a baseball, hitting a wiffle ball when he was three, probably. Um, so he started out actually um, in T-ball and went all the way through. We live in a very small community, the Madera Ranchos. Uh, there were a total of, I want to say, 500 kids in his entire school when he graduated from high school. Um, he was noticed, he had a friend that played on his high school team who was playing for um, a man named Terrence Frazier, who ran uh, Central Cal Baseball in Fresno. And so he went to play for them. And Terrence was with the Oakland A's back in his heyday. And he knew a lot of people, had a lot of connections. And so people came out, watched him. He got invited to the area codes games um, and attended that in Long Beach his junior year. And then, um, when he went to Fresno City, he started out at Fresno State. That didn't work out for him. So he went over to Fresno City College and had some fabulous coaches, greatest coaches probably in, I would say, in the state, but I'm biased. And um, from there, he could have gone to a D1 school, um, but he wasn't focused on his academics as much as he should have been. So he ended up going to an NAIA school. And uh, he again had a little trouble focusing on academics so <laughs> did not get drafted um his junior year he got drafted as a as a senior well he did uh, get drafted by the braves in 2013 before the phillies drafted him four years later what went into the decision not to accept that offer and to go to college did he just not think he was ready to go into the you know major league minor league baseball system or what was in the, involved in that decision um yes i think it was a combination of you know, he was drafted in the very, I think it was fourth from the last pick, um, yeah. who, you know, that it was going to be a grind no matter what. And, you know, being drafted that low and, you know, he, did, he not that he got really much of a signing bonus as a senior sign, but he still thought that, you know, he could develop more through college, get better and hopefully be a higher draft pick down the road. So he ends up a 10th round draft pick at Lewis Clark State College in Lewiston, Idaho, right? How, I looked that up, and it seems like there's a lot of guys that have been drafted out of that school, and obviously way out here in the East, we, we don't hear about it, but uh, it sounds like that's a pretty nice uh, nice college with a nice program. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a grind. I think that probably that was the best place he could have gone. Uh, they prepared him very well for the minor league system. He uh, They had them run. They call it the hill. Um, it's this very steep upgrade and you go running that in the winter, rain falling, um, you know, ice on your shoulders and your hair. 
it was a it was a very tough program. They demanded nobody had any special treatment. They did. They wore the same uniforms all the time. You didn't get a lot of swag. You didn't get any of that. It was just you know you perform if you want to play kind of a thing. And, um, I think he really grew up a lot in those two years and matured a lot in those two years. And he he would tell you even today that you know that was the probably the best thing that ever happened was for him to go there. And he was primarily a starter in college. Um, when was it decided that, you know, maybe he should be a reliever? Was, did that come later in the minor leagues or what? Yes. So he was a starter pretty much through his whole career once he started pitching. And then um, when he got to uh, Lakewood, there was kind of a backlog of starters. And so they decided to put him in the bullpen. He started a little bit in Lakewood, but then they put him in the bullpen and he loved it. He was really happy about the fact that he could pitch more often, that he could throw as hard as he wanted to. Uh, he didn't have to pace himself. You know, having been a starter for so many years and having to, you know, anticipate six, seven innings, um, he enjoyed going out there, you know, just pitching one or two innings and just being able to let it go and throw as hard as he wanted to. So he, and he also, I think, recognized that it was maybe a faster um, climb up to the major leagues. So he was he was very happy with it. At what point in his career did he learn to throw the change? Uh, we we always taught our kids when I, when I was coaching high school baseball, if you could throw a fastball on a changeup, you could be effective. And his changeup is filthy. I mean, it's it's probably better than his fastball, is uh, control wise. It's it's funny because when he was younger, he was taught to throw a circle, um, a, a curve ball, but a circle curve ball, and then um, or a C curve, as his coach called it at the time. And so he threw that, and then when he got to Fresno City, Coach Solberg, who was his pitching coach, he started throwing a slider, and it was a very effective slider. It was probably his best, like his changeup is now, his slider was his best pitch. Through that, I want to say for the almost his whole time at Lewis Clark, and then his teammate, uh, Henry Macri, who was also drafted in the same class as him, but um, he had to leave for medical issues, he taught him his changeup, and Connor just kind of played with it and perfected it to how he wanted it to be. He still threw, I think, when he when he was drafted, I think he was still throwing the slider. Uh, I, well, I know he was because he asked Coach Solberg when he lost the feel for it, you know, how do I get it back? But he, he went to that change and it became a very comfortable pitch for him, a very effective pitch for him. So that's most, and now he's developed this kind of cutter slider hybrid that he doesn't use a lot, but he'll, he will use that every now and then. And I only know because of the velocity difference. I know his change is about 86 and his cutter is about, you know, 89, 88. That's the only way I know which one he's throwing because to me, they look the same. <laughs> so he makes his way through the Philly system in 18 and 19. And then 2020, of course, comes along and the pandemic messes everything up. He finally gets the call in early August, mid August, and he makes his major league debut on August 13th. I don't know if you were there, but I think you know what happened. Uh, first pitch gives up a home run. <laughs> What's going through your mind? Well, the, he can only go up from there, I guess. And, <laughs> you know, I was devastated for him, of course, and we yeah. couldn't there because of the pandemic. So, right. um, you know, it was really hard. Uh, you know, he's my only child. So, of course, you want to, you know, even though he's an adult, you want to, you know, comfort him and make him feel better. Sure. But um, I know how he is, and he's – just he's going to take that and he's going to beat himself up a little bit and then he's going to come back and do better the next time and you know he had a lot of ups and downs it was a roller coaster ride there in the beginning and then yeah. you know it 
like we tell him, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And mm -hmm. he finished pretty darn strong out of 2020. Um, yep. Kept, uh, I believe it was the Rays that he was pitching to back to back days and struck him out and then came back and struck him out again. One, two, three, one, yep. two, three. So, you know, he finished strong and that's, he was the most important thing. Yeah. And, and it leads us right into this year where all of a sudden he's third on the team in appearances. Uh, he's basically, he's a rookie. I mean, you know, for a little bit of time last year, it's his first full season. Uh, if he didn't have these couple setbacks where they put him on the IL, he's either first or second in appearances uh, there for a while. Take away just a couple outings and that 4.06 is probably closer down to three. Um, five wins. Have a great season so far. Yeah, if you could just take this, just take the San Francisco game out, and I would be, you know, thrilled with his stats. I mean, yesterday, notwithstanding, with the two runs, but I mean, you know, every time he gets his ERA below three, you know, something crazy like that seems to happen, and you know, I don't know if it's just bad luck or he's just not executing like he needs to in those, you know, situations. I don't know, but yeah, if you just take the San Francisco game out, then uh, you know, I. I don't know. I think that he spe it speaks for itself at that point. Yeah, he went through a run of about fifteen or fifteen or eighteen games where he gave up either zero or one run just a couple times. I mean, he went on a roll there for for a bunch of appearances, and that ERA dropped pretty good. Bad part about being a reliever, it only takes one inning, one one blip in an inning, and it kind of blows your ERA up. Hey, when you're watching a game like what happened on Sunday when your son is pitching and it looks like he's out of the inning with what should be a called third strike, the umpire doesn't see it correctly. The guy gets on base. There's a two-run homer given up by uh, Hector Neris shortly after that. What's a parent going through when they're watching something like that? Are you screaming at the TV? My husband was. Uh, he, <laughs> he doesn't usually scream much. I'm usually the screamer, but I just, you know, I just kind of put my head down, shook my head, and uh, and I was, you know, really hoping that he was just going to get that next batter. That's, you know, that's what I was hoping for. And I have to kind of take deep breaths and calm myself down because every time he takes the mound, every time I, you know, see that he's going to come in, my heart rate jumps up. I start to get anxious. So I have to, you know, try to calm myself because I'm not helping him or me by being that anxious. But what are you going to do? I mean, it just seems like. You know, I, I, he's not the only one. It happens, you know, my, my famous saying, my husband, he hates it, is, you know, that's baseball. But in that particular one, I, I was like, that's not ba that's not just baseball. That's just bad officiating. And that, there, I <laughs> say things like that. But for that was just so egregious. I just Yes, I it was. Yeah. So we all talk to our children all the time. He's still your child. Uh, he's an adult. Does he call you guys a lot? to talk about baseball or is he just talk and say, Hey, mom and dad, how you doing? You know, you're going to the beach kind of thing. Uh, or is baseball kind of an off limit uh, topic for you guys? You know, when he's home, he will come over and, and we'll talk about stuff, baseball or whatever. He's not opposed to talking about anything when he's home. I think he's so busy when he's away and he's got so many people, you know, talking to him and texting him and, so many people wanting to go to his games and you know ask about tickets and things like that. This doesn't have a lot of time, so we try to respect that and not overwhelm him. You know, we text here and there, and you know, my husband's really good about like yesterday. You know, sending him an encouraging text. You know that you know this is what it looked like. There's the video. This is what Joe looked like when when it happened. <laughs> things like that. So we don't talk to him very often when he's there. We we understand that he's he's at the field so much and he's. 
he's an introverted type of a person. So when he's done with all of that activity at the field, then he likes to go home and decompress and relax a little bit. So we don't we don't go get into it a lot. And and I know nothing that I'm going to say after yesterday is going to make him feel any better. It's just not. He's going to have to work through that himself. And he typically does. He's that kind of kid that just says, all right, well, that didn't go well. And he might beat himself up for a little bit. And then he, you know, gets back out there and tries to do better. So he grew up in California, as you did. How has he adapted to life on the East Coast and Philadelphia, where the fans can be a little rough sometimes? <laughs> How does he like Philly? Um, you know, I, I think he loves the city. Uh, it's, you know, it's a beautiful historical city. When we went back there this year for the first opening series, um, you know, we loved it too. Uh, the fans, I think, you know, he's got a lot of good fans. You know, sure. I think the hard part is like on so social media is the worst thing ever because they will literally tag him on Twitter. He doesn't go on there to search things out, but if yeah. you know, he's tagged and he gets a message that somebody tagged him and he'll see, you know, that somebody said something negative. Of course, that's got to affect him. He doesn't tell us that, but I'm sure that it affects me. I know that. I mean, there was somebody tweeted something yesterday about too bad you didn't take a line drive to the head before that home. Wow. I mean, stuff like that is like uncalled for. Um, yeah. I, you know, and then the, and it's all the players, not just him. Anybody that has a bad day, Aaron Nola. You know, he's in the middle of it right now too. It's just. Mm -hmm. People are just brutal, especially on social media. And I, I keep telling him just delete your Twitter accounts so you don't see any of that stuff, but he keeps it around. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, he's, he's 26 years old and that's what 26 year olds do. I mean, they all are on social media and they all have their different things they look at. I don't know how you can expect, I don't know how you expect a kid not to be a kid. And the only, you know, they talk to their buddies and do whatever on social media. And to be barraged with stuff, it, it just can't be comfortable. And and from a parent's standpoint, it's got to be just awful to read people saying bad things about your child. Oh, it's horrible. And unlike your umpire friend's mom, I don't respond because my son would not want me to. If he didn't care, uh, oh, trust me, I have a lot to say. But, again, you know. <laughs> yeah, and he's, you know He's 26 years old and, you know, I can't, uh, I can't protect him like when he was, you know, three years old. So he has to fight those battles on his own. And I think he does stay off of that stuff as much as possible. He mainly looks at Instagram because that's where his friends are for the most part. But I think he only looks at the Twitter with somebody actually tagging something and then he sees it come across on his alerts. So. So we were talking quite a bit about the umpires and uh, how many calls were missed in the Sunday game. And quite frankly, over the last few weeks, there seemed to be a lot of missed calls. What are your thoughts, Steph, about eliminating the home plate umpire and going with the digital box and having the balls and strikes called that way? Yeah, it seems like it's been the whole season. Has it just been the last few weeks? Because it seems like the whole season. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great season. <laughs> It's kind of, it's almost an anomaly when I see when I go, wow, he's doing a really good job. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That seems to be the exception. You know, I, I'm torn because if they eliminate them and they go with the robo-ump or the, you know, the technology, then your pitchers obviously are going to have to be more refined. Um, you're not going to get those almost there calls. Right. But they're not going to miss the ones like what happened yesterday. So... It's a toss up for me. I was mad yesterday, so I was like, bring on the robo umps on my little Facebook post. But <laughs> 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 oh, I mean, I think that 
as agree as egregious as some of the games have been this season, I don't. I think that they're going to move in that direction. I don't know how they cannot. And it's it's surprising to me that these uh, that the umpires aren't trying to be better because of that. That they could, you know, or maybe they want that. Maybe it just makes their jobs easier and they don't get yelled at as much if they have the t- you know something in their ear saying that's a strike, that's a ball, and then you know they, nobody can blame them at that point. Mm. So the Phils are off to the West, uh, Arizona and San Diego. You and your husband, Mike, making a trip, uh, hopefully, where you're going to get to see Connor for a little visit. Uh, you're going to both series, I guess, and uh, we actually get to spend some time with him, or, or are they mainly busy other than, you know, after game stuff? He usually has time for, like, a late breakfast. You know, he, just, he wants to sleep in a little bit because he has the late nights, and so we typically are able to meet him for a late breakfast, early lunch, uh, before he has to report to the field. Uh, you know, the game's in so late that we usually can't meet him for dinner or anything like that and he's there now but I believe he's got some friends there he's friends with Tyler Gilbert actually uh, oh, wow. for the no-hitter they yeah, room- nice. uh, in one of the spring trainings I want maybe 2019 spring training they uh, they were roommates and so they're buddies they keep in touch so um, I'm sure he's probably meeting up with him and then his friend who uh, he grew up with out here he was a um, non-drafted free agent signed for the Giants organization and he was in their minor league system and uh, had to have Tommy John this year. So he's been rehabbing there at their facility near Phoenix. So I believe they're going like, to get together and have dinner or something like that today too. So so last question from me. Uh, the Phillies have this little West Coast trip and the schedule does get easier pretty much after that. As we speak on Monday, they're a game out of first. Are they going to win this division? Sure, of course. Absolutely. I love it. (laughs) Steph, we certainly appreciate you coming by. It's a lot of fun. And uh, like I said, we've never had a parent. This is cool to me because uh, having been a parent of guys that played and uh, and coached a whole lot of kids and parents, this is really cool. So uh, congratulations on on Connor getting to the big leagues. And again, thanks to you and Mike uh, for your service and everything you guys do. Well, thank you guys for having me and thank you for being supporters and you know, we love it. We love it when people support, you know, the players. And I, I think I speak for all the families, all the parents, when we say, you know, the more people that support them, whether they're doing good or bad is, you know, that means a lot. Hey, Chad, how much fun was that? Yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, she's a nice lady. Glad that we got to know her a little bit. And yeah, you, you know what it's like being a parent of a, a child who competes a lot. It, it can be agonizing sometimes. Oh, absolutely, and you could you could even hear a little bit in her voice as we were talking about the the Sunday game that some anxiety, uh, you know, in her voice just from watching the game. And uh, in her case, or their case, her and Mike, uh, that's probably like an every two or three day feeling, because that's probably when Connor's going to pitch is every couple of days he's going to go get on the mound, and uh, she's as nervous every time he goes out there as she was on Sunday, uh, you know. So it's a uh, it, it, it was really cool getting her perspective of how, how life goes, though, as a as a parent, because we always want to talk about the game, you know, uh, but that's not necessarily what he – that's his job. He don't want to talk about his job. And shame on people, the so-called fans. You know, you make ridiculous comments on Twitter or elsewhere on social media, and that's not right. You know, the players out there are trying. You don't have to make it personal and, you know, wish – harm on the player that that just drives me nuts when people do that 
Yeah, and, and it's bad because, you know, well, as we know, especially in a place like Twitter, uh, you don't, you know, you're not accountable for anything. So you just run run that mouth and, you know, uh, whether it's the player himself or the parents or, or spouse or whatever, that has to read that nonsense, uh, you know, that's no good. Yeah, damn social media. Hey, let's talk a little about the Phillies. They got this important West Coast trip. We we assumed the Arizona games would be easy. You win two out of three, but all of a sudden you lose the first one, a game you shouldn't have. They uh, The D-backs throw out some goofy bad starter and the Phillies can't hit them. It, it just it drives me nuts that we see that so many times where the Phillies just don't hit a guy that they should be, you know, crushing. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about that today, and I was thinking, you know, kind of putting it in football perspective. There's offense, there's defense, and there's special teams, right? In football, you talk about – I think in baseball, it's come down to, you know, you have offense, you have pitching, you have, now have relief pitching, and you have defense. You have four, four phases of the game, and the Phillies never seem to be consistently able to put all four phases together. You know, they might hit one night, and the bullpen blows up, or uh, they're, they're – their pitching doesn't get it done or their defense fails. And, and you know, you, they're not good enough to do that. And that, that's why you're a 500 team, because you can't put all the phases together often enough. We keep hoping it's going to happen. Maybe it will happen by September. And, you know, hopefully they'll still be right there, a game or two or three out. Because as we've been saying, the schedule is in their favor. But, you know, Joe Girardi said, hey, quit talking about the easy schedule you got to go out and win these games, even though some teams you think have given up the players themselves are still trying to win when they go out there. And we saw that last night in Arizona. Yeah. I mean, you can't, like I said earlier, you know, when you're a 500 team, there's no easy games because you're not that good right. to begin with. So, you know, and especially when you're playing in the major league, well, what we're seeing it, you know, the, in this division, you're only two and a half games behind the first place team. And uh, the last place team's kind of out of it, but the fourth place team is still only a handful of games out as well. So uh, they can they can win or lose every night, but that's why you're 500. You know, they, they got to be yeah. better and be more consistent. And, you know, our buddy JR keeps uh, pushing Bryce Harper as an MVP candidate. He just posted something now. I'm sorry. He has been playing well. He's been hitting well, but he's not up there with Tatis or Muncie just yet. Um, he's got to keep it going and, you know, maybe get those RBI numbers up, get the home run totals over 30, 35, but right now Uh, he's not an MVP. No, he's not an MVP this season, but I'll tell you what, he's having a nice season. And the fact that he's hitting 300 or very close to 300, he's hitting his home runs. He can't help guys aren't on base. You know, the, the RBI thing is really statistically is a killer, but the fact that he's, uh, you know, I think he's having a really nice season. He's not having an MVP season, but but he's having a really, really nice season. He's getting on base a lot. What's hurt him with the RBI thing is I think 18 of his 21 homers or whatever have been solo homers. So right, right. And one thing that hurt is hurting right now is Reese Hoskins being out because Hoskins was hot, and now he's been out the last week and a half. Hopefully he'll be back later this week. Nothing definite yet on that front, but – they need some guys around him that can hit. And right now, you know, McCutcheon's again, just uh, still struggling to get back. JT has been inconsistent. So need some guys hitting around Harper. Yeah. And I, I think the, that leadoff spot has been a problem all year. You know, McCutcheon didn't get it done. Oduble was in that spot and really picked it up and, and got really hot 
for quite a while. And then got cold. As then he got cold, <laughs> you know, and then Segura, Segura was hot in that spot for a little while. Now he's cooled off. They just haven't had that consistency in the first and second spots for for Harper and, and for Hoskins. Hoskins probably a little bit more to drive in runs. And speaking of Hoskins, I mean, this thing went from a weekend rest period to a week and a half, two weeks. Uh, you know, I don't know what the extent of that injury is, but it's got getting to be a long time. Yeah, at first they thought he would avoid the IL, but then he ended up going on it. And uh, I think that can officially end in the next day or two. And I would love to see him back for the San Diego series this weekend. Uh, but we don't know anything definite on that front. And what about your boy, Alec Bohm? I know you're saying, hey, he's still technically like a rookie. He's played less than yeah. a full season. But he's essentially been benched the last week or so in favor of a journeyman Torres playing third base. Yeah, well, Torres is doing a good job. Um, I got no problem with that. Uh, Bohm, Bohm's going to hit. He's just got to get in the lineup. And uh, But Didi, Didi came back. Torres is playing well. He's got to play. I, I have no problem with him. It doesn't mean I'm trading Bohm or sending him to the minors or anything like that, like some of the crazy people are, are saying. He still has not played 162 games in his career. I know. I know. And and everybody wants to forget that last year he was the MV, or the rookie of the year runner-up, uh, hitting, what, 338, I think. Um just let it be. He's all right. He'll be all right. All right. Yeah, I'll stick with him. Hey, Bill, you know what came out today? I'll tell you what came out today. The Go ahead. Spring training 2022 schedule. And if you look real close, you can see the March schedule. And uh, I'm going to start picking out dates to come down and hang out with you guys in Florida. So, yeah, the spring training schedule is out. And I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I took a look at it, too. And you know what caught my eye, Chad? And I don't know if I'm just, just not thinking right, but... It just doesn't look like many home games. This doesn't look like many games, and it's over. Yeah. Um, there were three in late like... February that I don't have posted, but three games in late February. And if you look really close at the schedule, you can also see that uh, up top, a woman has finally removed a monster rock-hard earwax after 50 years thanks to a new tool. So congrats to that woman getting that earwax out finally after 50 years. <laughs> I'm glad that that is not zoomed in on my screen and I can't see it. I, I appreciate that. Uh, that just jumped that out was, at me. With my... that, that was information that I did not need, my friend. <laughs> right next to Archie Bradley's head, the ad about earwax. Okay, well, let's uh, let's move on, Chet, and uh, let's talk all state insurance. Your couch, I know, especially this time of year, is getting more mileage than your car. It's time to start saving at all states pay as you go auto insurance. <laughs> you know it, Bill. All states pay as you go auto insurance puts you in control. You only pay for the miles you drive with the same full coverage that a traditional policy offers. Pay per mile insurance gives customers greater control of their insurance costs. See how much you can save with pay per mile car insurance by calling your local agent in Westchester, PA. That is Dave Lavoy. Call Dave at 610 430 0700. Once again, 610 430 0700 and start to save more now that you are driving less. Hi, football fans. This is Merrill Reese, and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good. Boy, it's good to hear Merrill's voice back again. It's that time. Hey, Chet, um, 
we're going to talk Eagles a little bit. We're going to talk Sixers, like we said. Uh, but let's get right to our second guest. You had a chance to sit down with Willie Nile, one of your favorites, one of my favorites too, Nile, uh, since you got me listening to him. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, Bill, I think, you know, I've been a fan of Willie's since his debut album came out way back in 1980. I finally got to meet Willie in 2006, and I've seen him, I think, 21 times now over the past 15 years. And I've talked to him for our show three times previously. And because he just released a great new album last Friday, I figured it was time that we had him back on again. So we were able to work that out the other day. And as soon as I can figure out how to do this, we're going to play that chat for you. Hey, it's Willie Nile here, and you're listening to Chet and Bill on Philly Press Box Radio. You lucky people. Well, that's a little piece that we play frequently at uh, the midpoint of our Philly Press Box Radio show. Willie Nile was kind enough to do that for us a while back. And now here is the man himself to talk about being back on the road again and his brand new album called The Day the Earth Stood Still. It is indeed Willie Nile joining us on Philly Press Box Radio. How you doing, Willie? I'm good, Chad. How you doing? I- I'm fantastic, and it's great to see you. I've been listening to your new album all day today. It sounds terrific. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But uh, before we talk about the new album, the pandemic, which is still unfortunately messing with all of us, yeah. has been tough on everybody, certainly on musicians. I was fortunate enough to be on hand for one of your very first shows back in front of a live audience. That was at the Ardmore Music Hall in uh, Philly in late May, it was. And I remember you mentioning at least a half dozen times that night how great it was to be back with people performing in front of an audience. You love doing live shows, don't you? I love doing the live shows. And that night, that's a great room, the Ardmore. It's a great room. I love playing in front of live people. Playing my, I could see in my band's faces beaming, the audience's beaming. So many people said I haven't been to a show in 15, 16 months. And uh, it's just it's just great to get back on the boards, you know. It's been a long year. Yeah, that's for sure. Hey, speaking of live shows, I was supposed to see Ringo Starr last year. It got scrapped because of the pandemic. So they moved to this June. Ringo said, no, nah, not yet. So they postponed until next June. So finally, I'm going to see Ringo next year. And I know that you opened for Ringo, I guess it was back in the early 90s. There's uh you and Ringo, what was it like opening for, you know, one of the Beatles? And, you know, I know you're a huge Beatles fan. What was that like? It was incredible. I mean, it was 1992. Whoever was opening for Ringo on that tour, he got sick. And I got a call like two days before. He was playing Jones Beach here in New York City. And they said, hey, can you open up for Ringo at Jones Beach? And I go, let me see if I can get my guys. And we did. We did the show. It was really great fun. He couldn't have been nicer. He really was so nice. And they liked it so much that they had us do uh, the whole Northeast leg of that that tour we played a bunch of you know a number of dates with them, a bunch of them and uh here's how cool ringo is the last of the dates i'm watching on the side of the stage we, we open the show he sings photograph but that's the last song in the set before the encores and he sees me standing 25 30 feet away comes out the stage he still has more of the show comes right over to me he gives me a big hug shakes my hand and says thanks so much you guys did great old school you know he's in the middle of a show and he took the time to come over to say yeah. Thank you. And he said, you want to come and sing? I get by with a little help from my friends. And I said, I would love to. So, yeah. oh, man. Amazing. That is awesome. Uh, yeah. Ringo, love him. Can't wait to see him, hopefully, next June. Yeah. Me too. So, I want to see that. I want to, I'd like to see him next year as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's always got a great band, so I can't wait. So there was a 1951 movie called The Day the Earth Stood Still, 
And that happens to be the title of your brand new album. It's not directly related to the sci-fi flick, but you do kind of allude to it in the title song. Tell me about it. Absolutely. Well, living in New York City during the pandemic, it was such a striking uh, experience, if you'd have told me two years ago, that it would be a ghost town. And it was completely a ghost town. You know, walking out in the streets, seeing hardly anybody, very few cars. And uh, the whole thing struck me as it's like the day the earth stood still, a great old sci-fi movie. It inspired the song, and uh, I wrote it. And, you know, the day the earth stood still, the day the earth stood still. I saw grown men cry, making out their will, the day the earth stood still. It's all about the pandemic. It's And it's still sadly still going on. You know, we're still fighting it. Yeah. And you mentioned Klaatu, Barato, Nikto in the song, which is great. That was, of course, you know, from the movie. Yeah. Anybody who knows that old movie uh, knows that, Klaatu Barata, Klaatu Barata Nikto. And I thought, I want to make a chant uh, and, and put it in, this, which I did. So yeah. I knew it was, yeah. as soon as I wrote it, I knew it was going to be the title track for the album. That's a Christina Aragoni photo. And that is um, Johan Figueroa Gonzalez. He is a street performer here in New York. And he does, he's like a living statue. He does these freeze poses. Uh, he stands on a pedestal. He's remarkable. And uh, Christina said at one point, she knew I was going to call the album Day of the Earth Stood Still. She had an idea for your album cover. And uh, all the pictures in the, the album, except one, are of Johan because it, they're just so striking. And one photo is with me and uh, with Congressman, former Congressman John Lewis. I met him once, and there's a song on the album called Justice Bell for John Lewis. It was a real mountaintop for me. But that's one of Christina's great photos. She's amazing. And yeah, I thought it was a fitting, you know, the Day of the Earth Stood Still. And here's this performance artist. Yeah, he's amazing. Speaking of Christina, look at look at her work. This is you, I guess, at the the Bowery, and she just makes you look so damn good, Willie. I don't know how she does it. Yeah, I'm a lucky guy. She makes me look <laughs> great. You know, she's she's just phen- phenomenal. You know, she has a real gift, and and I'm lucky. You know, there's so many great photographs she's got. And I go, I, you know, she must yeah, have a special yeah. must have a special filter that make me look halfway decent. That's it. That's what it is. Hey, helping you out on one of the new songs, the first single, as a matter of fact, "Blood on Your Hands," which you actually debuted last spring when I saw you, is the great Steve Earle. What a song, man! "Blood on Your Hands." Uh, what was it like getting Steve Earle to come in and join you? Thank you. It was great fun. Steve lives around the corner from me here in Grants Village. You know, we become friends, and I asked him to sing on the song, and he came in and knocked it out in no time. We had a great hang in the studio. He did a great job. His gritty, greasy street voice fits really perfect with that song. But hell will remember all the times you lied and lied and lied and lied. Blood on your hands, blood on your hands. You can't wipe it off with your one-night stands. Blood on your hands, blood on your hands. There's little It is awesome. Hey, back in the late 70s, Willie, I was a fan of this band, Detective. I had Uh the first two albums, loved them. I thought they were going to be huge. Michael DeBar, of course, on lead vocals. Turns out you're a fan of his, you're a friend of his, and he uh, helped you write one of the songs on it with with a great title, by the way. One of the songs, where there's a Willie, there's a way. I don't know where it is. Anyway, he, I last, uh, someone told me that he said some really nice things about me on the radio, on a serious radio underground garage show last August. So I wrote him a note to thank him. Hey, Michael, thanks for the kind words. And he wrote back, my pleasure where there's a Willie, there's a way. And I said, that's a song title. And he said, let's write it. So we did. And it came out great. Well, there's a Willie, there's a way. 
Don't let the blues lead you astray You can come down from your throne You can get there on your own But there's a way, there's a way yeah, one of those uh, up-tempo rockers that's really good. In fact, I was thinking of my notes as I was listening to the music today. I just yeah. wrote down notes, uh, various songs. Great rocker, catchy chorus. I can't read my own writing here. Guitar-driven rocker, a new classic. That's Blood on Your Hands. Nice yeah. mid-tempo tune, a couple of ballads for the end. Beautiful ballad, love it. Uh, pick up beer and bread on the way home. That was for me. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I just love, I know people say it all the time. There's not a bad song on the album, but... Willie, there's not a bad song on the album. Six or seven are instant classics. Thank you, Chet. You know what? I don't. I won't go in the studio unless I think I have a collection that'll stand up. I don't put filler songs on a record. I put together songs that I think will work together and be uplifting. At, at the end of the day, make people feel good and positive and uh, feel good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Among my favorites, the title song, of course, "Blood on Your Hands," which we mentioned. "Sanctuary," "Where There's a Willie, There's a Way," and two of the ballads, "I Will Stand" and "Way of Your Heart." All yeah. great, and like I said, not Thank a bad song on there. Um, Willie, the program director at Philly's WMMR is a guy that I know a little bit, but who happens to be an old friend of yours, Bill, Bill Weston. Weston. And Bill I happened to talk to him the night of your show in Ardmore, and I, I, I swear to God, we were talking. He said, Willie Nile is one of those rare guys who is truly getting better as he gets older, and I absolutely agree. What's your secret, Willie? How are you doing this? I think, as my father would say, it pays to be ignorant. I don't know, you know. I, I, I'm just, I just follow my instincts and follow my, uh, my heart, and follow where it leads me. And for some reason, you know, even as an older cat, the songs are still coming to me in droves, and I'm, I'm excited about them. I think I'm doing my best work now, you know. It feels good. It's fun. I'm having more fun now. That's for sure. The live shows are off the hook. The rec records we're making, I'm still learning in the studio. What's the secret? I don't know. I think just dumb luck. <laughs> I, I want to get back to the music in a second, but we talked uh, sports most of the time in our previous discussions for at least a little yeah. bit. And yeah. when we talked last time, we talked about those 1960 Buffalo Bills. You grew up in Buffalo. Players oh, like yeah. Harold Monica, Albert Dubinion, and Cookie Gilchrist. You Cookie. love the chant, looky, looky, here comes Cookie. How good of a chant is that? The whole stadium going, looky, looky, here comes Cookie. They get, <laughs> before, the, before they hike the ball. You know, everybody in the stadium's waiting. You know he's going to get the ball. He ran right down the middle. He would carry five or six people. He was an amazing running back. I love the old AFL. And I want to ask you, now that the Bills are good again, and as I said, you're from Buffalo originally, yeah. do you still root for the Bills or follow them at all? Well, sure. You know, Buffalo's a great city. They've been knocked a lot over the years. And they're, the city's really making a great comeback in a lot of ways. People are building Elon Musk's building some big factory there. The Bills are great again, you know, and not yeah. great. They're contenders big time. And it's fun because Buffalo, they got something to root for. And they're working class people hard. They're good, good hearted people. And, you know, I'm happy for them that they've got a team that they can get behind and, and cheer and salute. They always pack the place, the stadium, you know, it's just great. So I'm happy that I'm excited about it. I do follow them, see how they're doing. It's a working class city. It's a good city of good people. And I'm happy for them that they got a team they can champion, you know? Yeah. All right. Back to the music. Uh, final thing. I'm happy to say, Willie, that. August 28th, I'm going to be in D.C. with a couple of friends to see you and your great band at the Hamilton, which everybody tells me is a great place. Are yeah. you going to blow the roof out of that place? What can people expect? There will be no roof. There will be fire departments. I'm going to be outside when, when we hit the stage, and they'll pick up the remnants and try to put it back. We'll try to help them put it back together after the show, but we are absolutely going to blow the roof off. The band, you know, Johnny Paisano, Jimmy Bones, and John Weber are 
as good as it gets. And uh, Hamilton in D.C., and it is one of the great venues in the country. And I, I, there's a big stage, maybe a grand piano. We're going to be rocking that, that's for sure. August yeah, 20th. You probably, probably play some of this, too. Willie's uh, New York at Night from last year. Yeah. And then the brand-new album, The Day the Earth Stood Still, just out, hot off the press. is getting great reviews, by the way. Uh, the Day the Earth Stood Still, find it, buy it. You will love it. Willie, thanks for doing this, and I can't wait to see you in D.C. Thank you, Chad. I'm happy. Thanks for taking the time. It's always good to see you and talk to you. And thanks for the kind words. And anybody listen, you know, stay strong. We'll, we can beat this thing. And, and uh, yeah, the record doesn't suck. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> the record doesn't suck, Bill. Yeah. Hey, hey, Chad, you know what? I, I got to say this. Um, you know, I've, I've learned to like Willie's music because you, you got me listening to it. But you know what I like more than Willie's music is I like Willie. <laughs> you know, he's got I mean, a lot of passion for well, life. I mean, he, music he's the kind of—he's the kind of guy that you could sit down and have a cold adult beverage or a cold iced tea with to shoot the breeze, just like you just did. He's just like a regular, everyday dude. That uh, you know, I think I like that more. There, there's not there's no air about him, none. Yeah, he's just such a personable guy. And I mean, in a way, it's good that he only plays venues that, you know, hold less than a thousand people typically, because he will hang around after every show and talk to everybody who wants to say hello to him and get an autograph or a picture. He's just that kind of guy. So personable. All right. Hey, Chad, I got to throw this up there because uh, you have a friend, I believe. Donna says, see you at the Hamilton. I met Donna at a Willie show in Asbury Park several years ago, and I've seen her, I think, at three different shows now since then. And uh, Donna's great. So, yes, Donna, I will see you on the 28th for sure. Very good. All right, Chet, good stuff. I tell you what, fun, fun show with both our guests, with uh, with Steph and Willie. A little, like you said earlier, a little bit off what we normally do, but both great and fun night for sure. So, but let's Absolutely. talk some Eagles. Nick Sirianni era is underway. Uh, what did you see in the opening game? Uh, anything that you liked? It was pretty vanilla, but a lot of conversation coming out of the NovaCare Center about the leadership qualities on and off the field of one Jalen Hurts. Yeah, everybody's raving about Jalen and about Nick Sirianni as well, their leadership. I mean, he only played a couple of series, completed three out of seven, talking about Hertz, of course, but there were two drops, one of them by Zach Ertz, unfortunately. And one of his incompletions, he just missed hitting Quez Watkins on what would have been a 98-yard bomb of a touchdown. So he looked good. And, uh, yeah, he, he certainly wasn't rattled by anything. I, I, I think they're going to – Look pretty good with Jalen Hurts this year. And the receivers, we know Nick Sirianni has a history as a receivers coach. He's been working these guys hard. Devontae Smith going to be back in the lineup. If not this Thursday, definitely. I think he's going to play a little uh, in the third preseason game, and he'll be ready for the opener. And with him and Watkins and a resurgent Jalen Rager, they may have a pretty impressive wide receiver crew, Bill. Well, we'll see. I mean, they've invested a lot in it. They've been nothing but disappointing, you know, to, to date. Um, new blood, new coaches, new quarterback. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, you know, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of spring training where where everybody's happy and everybody's excited, but uh, reality comes soon. But one can hope a healthy offensive line, a good bunch of young receivers. We know we got running backs. Hey, let's see what happens. 
Yeah, and I mentioned Quiz Watkins. Uh, he's got speed, so does Smith. So it's going to be great to have two speedy wide receivers. I'm going to see them out there at the same time in uh, a lot of setups and you know, put the other team's defense on alert for that. Uh, and we mentioned Rager, who made one of those uh, amazing catches the other day, like a Odell Beckham Jr. kind of catch, the one-handed grab. That was very impressive. The O-lines, are looking. the O-line and the D-line, I should say, are both looking good. That's important. Got to keep that O-line healthy. That is going to be crucial to the success of the team and to keeping Jalen Hurts upright as well. I'm feeling pretty good about this team all of a sudden, Bill. Well, I don't like to get too excited no, too early in preseason for sure. But, uh, hey, why not? You know, we, we know they have talent. It's whether they can pull this thing together. Uh, and we, we haven't even mentioned or seen Miles Sanders yet. We know he's a solid player. He's not going to get much preseason work, which is fine. Um, he He's about ready to bust out. I think he's going to be solid. Yeah, but the one concern, all the guys who have been at the practices, is his uh, drops. He is dropping passes every single day. And that was a concern coming out of college. But then as a rookie, he was pretty good. Then he regressed last year. And apparently he's still having that issue this year. So, yeah, he's got to hold on to the ball a little better, catching it. And, of course, you know, when he runs with it, not fumbling as well. Well, right. Or he ends up being a two-down back or he ends up not being the premier back. I mean, it's, it falls in his court, as they would say. No pun yeah, intended. But uh, a lot of – And we got to play defense. Yeah, got to play defense. I know. Um, hey, we got a we got a linebacker this year. We got another DB. So, you know, hopefully things will look good. And the new uh, D coordinator is getting rave reviews as well. So that, that's good. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see how that plays out as we get a little further into the preseason. They start to, you know, show a little bit more on both sides of the ball. And uh, it won't be long. What, September 12th? We're, we're geared up. That's, uh, what, three weeks away? Yeah, and it's going to be weird. They have the off week this year between the third preseason game and the opening week of the regular season. That is something new and uh, a little going to take some getting used to. But, you know, it'll be fine. Well, yeah, and well, then that's because they added the regular season game and deleted a, a yep. preseason game. So, yeah, it's going to be fun to get the season up and running. And, uh, of course, you know, college football is getting up and running, too, which always excites me. And uh, the Nittany Lions opening up on the road at Wisconsin. That's, uh, that's a heck of an opener. And then I believe it's week four, Auburn comes to Happy Valley. So uh, going to be fun times for them as well. Yeah, we're going to have to talk a little Penn State football soon, Bill. We will. We will. All right. Chet, want to move on and talk about that Joel Embiid, your boy. He got paid to the tune of four years, $196 million super max extension through 26-27. You like it? Hey, they had to do it. You know I like Embiid. Um, I like the fact that he wants to be a sixer, hopefully ever. No, he wants them to try to win a title. Um, the one issue, of course, is what's always the issue with him is his health. Uh, can he stay healthy? Uh, boy, I hope that he's still around and a dominant force in 2027 when this contract extension ends. Nice to see him getting paid. I, you know, these salaries are just ridiculous, but uh, boy, I hope that they can build around him. I hope the Simmons deal, some sort of Simmons deal gets done because as we've discussed, I don't want him back. But I do want Joel Embiid around, and I want him to stay healthy. So uh, it's going to be interesting the next couple of years with this Sixers team. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess my I'm on the health thing too, and the and the uh, the rest days and all that nonsense. But man, you you invested two hundred million dollars in a player. You better he better pay out. You know, he they got a long time. The franchise has said it is it is or it isn't with Joel B. And I told you before, they won't win with him. And I, I'm sticking to that for now. But you hope you're wrong, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, I, I have no problem with the guy except he needs to be on the court more. That, that's all. He's a great player. I, great believe player. He is, I believe he has the highest average of anybody for points over 36 minutes, which is what you know most players are playing nowadays. He's averaging over 29 points per 36 minutes, which is – you know, pretty amazing for him. And uh, let's hope he can play 36 minutes for pretty much every game over the next six years. Yeah. Well, and now, you know, they got to surround him with better players. Uh, they got good players. They got to surround him with better players because the other teams in the league have, you know, they're, they're building these super teams and they're going to continue to build them. And we know that him by himself or him and Simmons and Harris don't appear to be able to be the ones that can get it done. So they got to spend more money and figure out how to get the right guy that wants to come here. And from, from an Embiid standpoint, maybe I'm going to say something that's not all exactly fair. He needs to make the other players around him better. Maybe yeah. not fair, yeah. but if they're going to win, that's going to have to happen. Yeah, and uh, I know he wants to, and let's hope it happens. So go Sixers. Those Sixers. Hey, what? nothing bad about talking Sixers in the middle of August, right? That's right. Before you know it, it'll be October, and they'll be playing preseason games and regular season games. That's right. Be here before you know it. All right. Well, hey, Chet, let's give a shout-out to all the shows over at the Edge of Philly Sports Network, which we are part of. The episode, this episode, is being streamed live across Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and now on Twitch. You can also catch all the action on www.eopsports.com. Help us out by hitting those subscribe, follow, like buttons, and always share with family and friends. In addition to this great show, check out our affiliates, including the Broad Street Bully podcast. Uh, that's every Monday with Drew, Jeff, and Doyle talking Flyers hockey. Lax Philly coming, getting ready to start going live. Kevin, Gary, and the team covering everything lacrosse from Philly and beyond. they got great stuff, too. Edge of Philly Sports Live. Joe, Freddie, Big Al, cover four for four, and so much more Philly sports. Watch them live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. That'll be tonight. I think they're filling in for each other because they get some vacations going on, but they'll be live tonight. Bird's IQ, Kyle and Eric Quinn, uh, they have returned. I believe they had a Tuesday night show this week, but they will be Mondays during the season at 7 p.m. And the Patterson Avenue Fanatics every Saturday Morning, 9 a.m., wake up with TK, Marks, James, Dave, Paul, and Damon, and get your Philly sports talk on. And if you miss a show, no worry. Grab the podcast at all the major platforms all over the place. And, hey, speaking of Mr. Marks, Joe Marks, uh, he's got some serious medical issues going on right now. So we want to send a lot of love and best wishes to Joe. Hope uh, everything works out well for you, Joe. Yep, Joe's a good guy, and uh, we certainly – Wish him the best. Hey, remember, you can stay up to date on all that Philly sports check uh, chat by visiting eopsports.com. They have great articles. A huge newsletter comes out every Friday. All you have to do is sign up, and it is free. comes right to your mailbox. Mm -hmm. 
All right, Chet, great guest tonight in Stephanie Brogdon and Willie Nile. Who is coming to Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday? Well, Bill, on the schedule next week, a return visit from the soon-to-be ex-Philly Inquirer Phillies reporter, Bob Brookover. Haven't talked to Bob in a while, so we're going to have him back. We will talk all things Phils with Bob, plus his decision to accept a buyout from the Inquirer and what he might have going on down the road. I know he's on vacation this week, enjoying that. In addition, Bill, you and I will unveil our candidates for the 2021 Philly Press Box Radio Hall of Fame. We will run down the potential inductees and tell our viewers and listeners how they can help us choose this year's inductees. That's always fun. Yes, it is. We'll, we'll be looking forward to that. We'll have it ready to roll. And uh, five inductees, Chet. Three by the fans, one by you, one by me. So five more will go in. I believe it's going to be up to 35, I, I want to say. We've been doing this for a while. Yeah, we'll have to. I, I don't even know who's in or who's not in, but we'll we'll figure it out in time for next week. For we'll sure. update it and have it ready to go. Uh, party shot for you tonight? Yeah, uh, Bill, just first a bunch of odds and ends really as part of my parting shot. Kudos to the Birds <coughs> on their choice for this year's Eagles Hall of Fame inductions. Two of the guys on the offensive line, so important to all of the team's success in the early 90s, Big John Runyon and Trey Thomas. Congrats to both of those guys. I mentioned last week several sports figures who had died in August, including Bobby Bowden. I know, Bill, that uh, as you see in this picture, you were a fan of his. So, again, rest in peace to Bobby Bowden. And then the other day, we lost another one, Bill. Uh, as an old Flyers fan, we know this guy, Jay Greenberg. He covered the Flyers for the Bulletin during the Broad Street Bullies Day and the run to the Cup, and then went to the Daily News for more than a decade. He also wrote later for the New York Post and some other publications, including HockeyBuzz.com recently. He wrote several books, Jay Greenberg, dead at 71, so rest in peace to him. Bill, we criticize Major League Baseball often, deservedly so, but they got something right last week with the Field of Dreams game between the Yankees and White Sox out in beautiful Dyer, Iowa. Uh, played on a newly built field next to the one that we saw in the 1989 movie. Baseball in Iowa, it was heavenly. And finally, Bill, I just want to say congratulations to you because I know you purchased that $6.6 .6 million <laughs> 1909 Hannes Wagner card, Bill, so take good care of it, will you? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you imagine how much money you have to have to spend $6.6 on a baseball card, Chet? I can't imagine, Bill. One uh, final note, uh, one of your heroes, Robert Redford, 85 today. Happy birthday, Mr. Redford. All right, and I have two things to throw out at you, Chet, as a reminder. August the 30th, mark your calendar, Kendall's Crusade One-Arm Golf Challenge that is almost sold out. Um, but you can look that up, and there you go. You're right on the money. Uh, August 30th, White Marsh Valley Country Club, Lafayette Hills. That's a good one. And, Chet, I lost this. I had it. My Facebook page uh, updated on me all of a sudden. Uh, Ray Dittinger doing a live oh, yes. signing over in Jersey, and I lost the details. You uh, have I know it's this note? Friday in Deptford, I believe at a Barnes & Noble. It, I think. it is. Yeah, yes. Deptford. I think I heard 5 to 7 this Friday. Good to hear Ray Diddy and Glenn Mack now back from vacation. They were actually filling in on WIP yesterday and today as well for the midday show, so great to hear those guys always on the radio. Yep. And one final thing on the Field of Dreams, Chet, uh, most watched regular season baseball game in 16 years. Yeah. Uh, Major League Baseball got it right, and it looks like they're going to go back with a Cubs-Reds game, it sounds like, is kind of 
leaked out that that's what's going to happen in uh, uh, next season. Yeah, do it once a year. I like it. Uh, keep it going. Just don't overdo it. Man. Log her up, everybody. England, if you listen, feel free to send me some money or beer. There you go. That <laughs> it? That all you got? Wrap it up, Bill. All right, let's wrap it up. Let's thank tonight's special guest, Stephanie Brogdon and Willie Nile, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, August 25th at 7 p.m. You can see us live on Facebook. Listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, on Google Podcasts, as well as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and all the others. With that, Chad, a lot going on. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Ah. Oh, okay.